Hi, I'm Rick Schwartz. Buenos dias, world. I'm Marco Wendt. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization which oversees the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. Hey, Rick, since we're covering our Southwest Conservation Hub this episode, I was thinking we could focus on some wildlife that we found right here in San Diego County. Oh, I like that idea, Marco. But uh, to be fair, you know San Diego County is considered one of the most biologically diverse counties in the United States, right? So I think you're going to need to narrow it down a little bit. (laughs) I think you're right. And there's that word diversity again. I love that word. But with our beaches, right, our inland coastal areas, our deserts, and even our mountains. I mean, we have all sorts of different ecosystems right here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And here's a fun fact for some of our listeners that they may not know. But San Diego County is considered to be the southern range limit for many northern species. And it actually also happens to be the northern range limit for a lot of southern species. Oh, so a little bit of crossover there. Yeah, right. That's kind of cool. When you couple all of that then with our mild climate, you end up with the perfect location for all sorts of plants and animals that call San Diego County home. But Marco, as interesting as all this is... It doesn't help us narrow down the species you're thinking of focusing on for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that everyone knows I'm a little bit of a bird nerd between the two of us, right? Yeah, I think we all know that. Uh, It's been well established in this season. (laughs) It may have been a little bit obvious, but, you know, uh, we did an episode about this particular species last season. Okay. But, you know, there are some new things happening that I think it's worth visiting, friend. Wait, 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 wait. I think I know where you're going now that you said that. The Southwest Hub Wildlife, Mm -hmm. that's a bird bird because you're a bird nerd yeah. and one that's also part of our first season mm-hmm. maybe instead of asking what species you're thinking of maybe i should ask who who are you thinking of <laughs> oh indeed rick <laughs> nice. i was waiting for that oh. all season uh but it's the burring out you yeah. know but in all fairness they don't actually make that you know who who hooting sound that we often associate with a lot of different owls out there True, true. I can't mimic burrowing owl calls. Can you? Or wait, actually, for the sake of our listeners, should you even try? You know, man, I, I probably have like a San Diego accent, but uh, <laughs> I'm game. I'm game to put down my owl sound if you want to give if it a go. Th- right. If you think you can do a okay, burrowing owl sound without... Please, please, give me a little bit of grace on this all one. Right, okay, all right, this is goes. This is my version of a San Diego burrowing owl. Here we go. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> right, right, right. I, okay, a I have bit. to say, I'm impressed. Thank you, sir. I'm impressed. Thank you. I'm Thank impressed. You. But with that, I think it's only fair to our listeners now that we go visit with someone who can update us on all things burling owls here in San Diego. What do you think? Oh, I think that's a great idea. I'm Colleen Wazinski. I'm a conservation program manager. I manage the Burling Owl Recovery Program. With that, then, can you give an overview of what that program is for our audience? Our program is what we call a full-spectrum conservation research program. So we try to tackle a lot of different elements of conservation of growing owls in Southern California and mostly in San Diego County. We try to approach conservation of growing owls from different angles. And so that has included in the past trying to get ground squirrels back into the system. California ground squirrels are really important for the species. We look at things like habitat needs, habitat requirements. We do a lot of nest monitoring as well. So we're keeping track of how many nests there are, how many juveniles are produced from each nest, keeping track of some of the other threats that they face from different types of predators to different types of human-caused problems that might be out there. 
And more recently, we've been doing a lot more translocation and conservation breeding of the species to try to boost their numbers, mostly within San Diego County, but also across Southern California. And one thing you mentioned, full spectrum. So it already just, you listed so many things that this project <laughs> and program does. But one thing, Marco, and I've learned over the last few episodes talking to people, it's also multiple teams. We partner with many other entities. Is that correct? We do. We truly are an alliance. Not only do we partner internally, so we are with the Conservation Science and Wildlife Health Team. We also work with the Bird Department. We work with the Nutrition Department. We work with many other groups across the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. But then we also have many external partners because we're mostly working on land that is not managed by SDZWA. We're working on lands that are managed by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, the San Diego Habitat Conservancy, Caltrans. I know I'm going to forget a bunch. (laughs) The city of San Diego, the county of San Diego. There are a lot of entities that we work with just from the land management perspective, but then also entities in the realm of conservation, wildlife management, research, other groups like the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Again, California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Just a lot of other groups, nonprofits, consulting groups that all have a stake in burrowing all conservation. Right. I love that. That's teams with teams with teams with teams. Oh, I know, man. It, it literally takes a village and a really big village, too. And I got to say to you, like for burrowing out for me, it was one of the first times I felt connected being a wildlife care specialist with the external, the outside projects in conservation. For me, it was a California condor. And of course, this burring owl. And in case our listeners aren't familiar with the species, can you describe the burring owl for us a little bit? Yeah, well, I'm really biased. Oh, so I have to I mean, admit. They're ridiculously cute, right? Let's start <laughs> they off with are. that. They're absolutely cute. I mean, owls in general are, but <laughs> right? these guys are, they're a small species of owl. So if you can imagine, they're about the size of a water bottle that you <laughs> would buy at a concert or something, you know, like a Dasani water bottle. And they're only about 12 inches tall. They have really long legs because they do live mostly on the ground. So their tall legs help them kind of get elevated off of the ground and see things. They don't have a lot of feathers on their legs, which is pretty unique for an owl. They are most active during the well, I shouldn't say that. They're active 24-7. That's an amazing thing about them. A lot of owls are very inconspicuous because they are mostly active at night and they're trying to kind of stay hidden during the day and they're sleeping during the day and burrowing owls are really active just all around the clock. They are very highly visible during the day. They do a lot of hunting at night, but they are a lot more visible than a lot of other owls are. Another unique thing about them is that they nest in burrows, hence their name burrowing (laughs) owl. And they don't actually do the burrowing themselves for the most part, at least within our part of their range. Mm. And so we're working with the Western subspecies of burrowing owl, which is found throughout Western North America. And the soil doesn't really lend itself very well to them digging their own burrows. So they are highly reliant on other species like the California ground squirrel, like different species of prairie dogs, badgers, tortoises, like the desert tortoise. Here in San Diego, tortoises can play a role in that too, right? Yeah. And so they really rely on these, what we call ecosystem engineers to create burrows that they can then use for nesting. They also use them just for protection as well. So even during the non-breeding season when they wouldn't have a nest, they still can use the burrows for protection if they need to. So they are very reliant on these other species to provide nest sites and other structures for them to provide homes for them, basically. I want to go back real quick to what you said earlier, that they're active all the time. 
I think most all of us are used to the idea that owls are nighttime creatures. You know, they're nocturnal, the night owl mood and all that. What is it about the burrowing owl, or at least in your experience, why are they active around the clock? What is the reason behind also being active during the daytime? That's a good question. I guess I would say that they're just more visible because they're nesting at a hole in the ground (laughs) and they're... Normal habitat is pretty open grassland habitat, so they don't have a lot of places to hide other than in the burrows. And they do rely a lot on, in our case, on ground squirrels. The ground squirrels are active during the day, and so the ground squirrels provide some vigilance to them, help them kind of keep watch over what's going on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the hunting they're doing mostly at dusk and into the night and then some in the dawn hours as well. But the females are pretty vigilant at the nests and watching the juveniles during the day. And they will occasionally run out and catch a beetle that's walking Mm -hmm. across the ground or something like that. So I think some of it probably has to do just with what food they're eating. And so if they're having better luck finding things that are active during the day, then they're more active during the day. But they do rely a lot on animals like small mammals like mice and lizards and snakes and things that are active at night as well. So... They just kind of are going all the time. And then I think another aspect of that is with things that are nesting in cavities in trees, those juveniles are pretty stuck to being inside the tree. Right. Or if they're like a great horned owl nesting on a platform of sticks, they're stuck with being on that platform. The burrowing owls, because they're on the ground and they don't have to worry about falling out of a tree or anything (laughs) like that. That's true, yeah. The juveniles are very active during the day as well. So they have that whole area in front of the burrow. I mean, they don't go super far, but they're very active. They're exercising their muscles. They're interacting with each other. They're learning how to manipulate things in the environment. So the photos that we get of them during the day is, they're so funny. I love them. I love seeing them. They pounce on each other. They pounce on sticks. They pounce on, like anything they can find. So much personality. Yeah, they have a ton of personality. They're interacting with each other. And then every so often, because they are still babies, they need their sleep. And so every once in a while, you'll just see them face plant. Like they just, they're in the middle of it and they just fall asleep kind of like a puppy and they just exhaust themselves. And I could go on and on and on about the things yeah, we see it, on the camera. I can't tell that you enjoy this at all, you know, working with them. I mean, they're great. And, you know, when you were saying too, like being awake and active in different parts of the day or the night, you think about all the areas, right? Burring owls can be found. In Florida at one point, numbers are strong. The Midwest, when you have, uh, prairie dogs is an example. Of course, here in San Diego, the ground squirrel. What I get most excited about, honestly, friend, about burrowing owls is the community aspect of it. You know, I mean, there's so many other species that are dependent to on burrowing owls and vice versa. You were referencing the desert tortoises, the ground squirrels as well. And that's sort of unique, I think, compared to other owl species around the world. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. I hadn't really ever thought about it like that. But yeah, I think that's probably true. It seems like they are really dependent on this whole ecosystem. Exactly. All the, really, all animals are, but it does seem really strikingly obvious with right. growing owls that there's this whole community that interacts with each other. Exactly. There's an excellent example. Kids can see that themselves, right? At Wildlife Explorers Base Camp, we get to see prairie dogs where they're burrowing owls, which is really, really an amazing adaptation, I think. Yeah, it's a habitat at the zoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think you bring up a good point, Marco. It's like we've talked about before in other episodes how there are many species that rely on other species for you know a wide variety right, of reasons. Right. But yeah, I think it's fair to say the the burrowing owl offers up a different way to realize that 
when we remove ground squirrels, we remove the opportunity for nesting sites. Totally. Therefore, the population is going to drop. Or any other version of that. And you know, sometimes we think about, oh, it's a food source or it's a seed disperser that helps other. But in this case, it really is that community. Totally. And also, you had kind of hinted to this before, Colleen, too, is that being in that community with other species, not only relying on the housing, but then we talk about predators. A lot of times people think, well, you're an owl, you're top of the food chain, but burrowing owls have to worry about predators too. So they're an extra set of eyes along with the ground squirrels or whomever else they might be residing with. Can you share a little bit about how burrowing owls have to also be vigilant for someone who might want to eat them? Yeah. As I said, they're a very small species of owl. Mm. They only weigh about 150 grams, which is about the size of a single serve yogurt cup or like a stick of butter. So you can imagine just how <laughs> yeah, light and small they are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so even though they're hunting things to eat, they are strictly carnivorous. They need to hunt other things in order to survive. They also are hunted by things that are larger than them. And this can include things that you wouldn't even think about. One of the big issues we see in San Diego County are common ravens as a predator of burrowing owls that would not have been nearly as much of a predator in the past, but that's a species that has really figured out how to live alongside us as humans and really takes advantage of that. And other things that we have like in our built environment that really help the ravens and other predator species, like great horned owls can be another major predator of adult burrowing owls. And because we plant trees and create poles and towers and things like that to support our own needs, that really helps the great horned owls as well. And to be in much closer proximity than they kind of naturally would have been with burrowing owls. Right, so yeah. even in a completely unimpacted environment, they would have had to deal with predators like northern harriers and foxes and, you know, just things that also need to eat. Part of the food chain. Yeah. Yeah. People think raptor, right? Oh, it's a meat eater. Nothing is going to harm these guys. But no, I mean, raptors are in so many different shapes and sizes. I'm sure the public is aware of the American kestrel as well, with the smallest falcon in the United States. Definitely has to watch out for others. You mentioned the northern harrier. That's like a hawk looking raptor, folks, in case you're not familiar with it. And they use sound they're picking up sounds underground, which is something the burrowing owl definitely has to watch out for. <laughs> but it's interesting, all those nuances in community with that. With the concept of predation and what these owls have to do, I'm sure you've seen examples of that out in the wild in some of your research with some of those owl communities. Can you speak a little bit of maybe some of those examples you've seen out there? Yeah, I mentioned the ravens. The ravens really, I think, are one of our bigger issues. Yeah. We deal with coyotes. We deal with things like skunks and weasels. So really, there's a wide variety of other animals that will try to eat burrowing owls. I mean, they're going to eat whatever they can find. Right. And if the burrowing owl's in their path, then they become part of the menu. Yeah. And um, let's see, peregrine falcons would be another one. We've even seen red-tailed hawks go after some of the owls. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of these hunters are very opportunistic, just like the burrowing owls themselves. They're really trying to just find food and they're they're not going to be very picky. You know, if they find it and they can eat it, they're going to try to right. eat it. Yeah. The same thing happens to them. Yeah, interesting ways of avoiding predation too, right? I mean, obviously the burrows one, my absolute favorite, you guys, is the chicks in particular can make a rattlesnake sound, <laughs> which can totally confuse a predator, myself included, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I remember this one day we needed a process, but basically it's like a physical, right, for the young chicks of the year. And uh, we needed to go in and I needed to put my hand in that burrow. And even though we had a camera, even though we could see the chicks there in that burrow, and I could not see a snake, that sound, though, was so perfectly like a rattlesnake that I even cringe a little bit knowing that that I'm putting my hand in this thing. But that's a really cool adaptation to all those behavioral nuances for burrowing owls. I absolutely love 
Yeah, they're very, very convincing when it, it comes yeah. to the rattlesnake call. I mean, it kind of works both ways because then after a while, you're like, oh, it's just an owl and you become <laughs> kind of desensitized and you have to remind yourself, like, no, there really can be, a, can snake be a snake in there, there. sometimes. <laughs> so we need to be careful yeah. about that. But they are very, very good at mimicking rattlesnakes. And it is a really neat adaptation because they're completely vulnerable if something gets into the right. burrow. They really don't have any defenses. I mean, they do have talons, but they're not very big and they're not very strong at that point. So yeah, the trying to scare other animals away by mimicking something that is actually dangerous is a pretty neat adaptation. <laughs> I think so too. And you know, we're talking about predators as well, but there's other aspects these burrowing us have to watch out for and look out in the wild. We were just talking about weather a little bit ago. Can you talk about, especially this year, we've had some interesting weather patterns here in San Diego, right? Yeah, we had a lot of rain this year. So much rain in the first like four or five months of the year, which is really abnormal for us to have it. Usually we get, yeah. you know, rain in through like January, February, but we had rain all the way through really May and June of this year. And that really did kind of mess things up for the owls. It delayed their nesting because obviously in a hole in the ground, if the soil is very wet, then the burrow might get flooded. So we had quite a few burrows that were just saturated with water for quite a long time. And then once things did start to dry out, they were about a month behind in their normal timing. And then another aspect of having so much rain is that then we also got a lot of vegetation. And this is a species that's adapted to native grasslands here in Western North America that are generally filled with bunch grasses, which grow kind of clumpy. They don't mm. grow super tall. So okay. there's a lot of like bare ground between the different grasses. They also in California at least had a lot of forbs, which are basically soft vegetation that are like little flowers and little leafy vegetation that doesn't grow very tall. And with all the rain and the fact that we have a lot of non-native species, or I guess I should say invasive species in some ways that grow very differently from the native vegetation. It grows very tall, it grows very thick. And when those grasses die at the end of the growing season, they fall over and they kind of create this carpet mm -hmm. that is almost impenetrable. And we saw a lot of problems with that this year with the owls not being able to get to any of the food that would be kind of running around usually in those open bare areas between plants, but there wasn't really any open bare area between the plants. So <laughs> it was really restricting their ability to find food. Yeah. And then we had, you know, a hurricane in August. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Which luckily for us here in San Diego didn't cause a lot of problems. We didn't get nearly as much rain as others. And so I think the owls maybe just saw it as a little bit of a spa day reprieve. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, that's good. <laughs> didn't seem like it affected them very much. Oh, good. But the rain earlier in the year certainly did just in terms of their ability to move through their environment. And also it probably did not help make sure that there was enough food for them. So, you yeah. know, other animals suffered from the rain as well. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you on the heels of that then too, we've talked a lot about the different natural aspects of the burrowing owl and their environment and some of the challenges they face with, you know, other predators or increase in raven population, et cetera. Now with the rains, of course, changing the landscape with the plants, but I want to kind of pull back a little bit. Could you share with us, why is it important for your work to continue? Why is the burrowing owl a species that we as an organization, San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, has teamed up with so many other organizations, whether it's state, county, or city, other nonprofits, etc., to make sure we don't lose the species? Why is this so important to us? 
Yeah, I think first and foremost is important because they're a species that has lived here for millennia, that evolved here, that is supposed to be here as part of our natural heritage in North America to have this species. They're part of the natural landscape. And and we talked a lot about the whole community and the ecosystem earlier, and we really don't know what the effects of taking one piece out of an ecosystem is. Yeah. And we're taking a lot of pieces out of the ecosystems and not really knowing what the ultimate effects are gonna be. I think it can be a little bit hard to say that like this species has this value and I think we do a disservice to our work and to those animals to try to kind of quantify their value but I think that because they're a part of our natural heritage and they are a species that has been declining for probably 30 years at this point that as an organization we want to maintain native species in their natural habitats. And this goes across the world, not just here in Southern California. But I think we feel a special responsibility because they are in our own backyard and they live in our home state of California and they have been declining for quite a while. And they're also a quite visible charismatic species. And so it's, I guess, maybe easier to see that they're declining because they used to be all over and now they're not. And I've talked to a lot of people that grew up here that can talk about remembering seeing burrowing owls, you know, throughout Poway and Carlsbad and these places that you would never expect to see them anymore because they've been built and there's not these open grasslands left. So California grasslands are an endangered habitat. And then we have all these other species, including burrowing owls, that are a piece of that puzzle. And there's interest at the local conservation level with this species as well, among many others. Within the county of San Diego, we have plans for trying to maintain native species and to conserve our native habitats and native species. There's just a lot of support within the conservation community to work with this species and try to conserve them, along with a number of other really amazing charismatic species that we work with, like pocket mice and kangaroo right. rats yeah, and desert tortoise. I love those guys, yeah. I think amazing. it's fair to say that like many of the species we've had the opportunity to explore and talk about on Amazing Wildlife, it's it's one of those things where it's not just about the one individual species, but when we focus on that one and all the pieces they come in contact with and other pieces that they rely on, it really paints that bigger picture then of the value of the ecosystem, value of the other species, et cetera. Right. And if we protect grasslands for burrowing owls, then we also protect grasslands for Stevens kangaroo rat and California ground squirrels and all the other different butterflies species. yeah butterflies and everybody, and, yeah. yeah and the plants themselves and all these other yeah. diversity know. right it's all yeah, about the diversity exactly yeah. exactly yeah. and having a biodiverse ecosystem helps us be more resilient to things like climate change so having that much healthier ecosystem will right. help us ultimately yeah. as well yeah. talking about diversity reminds you that i want to let the kids know that includes you guys who we're all connected here and you know, we're working with collaborators locally and nationwide as well. But we're here in San Diego County. I love our hubs, by the way. You know, we're all over the world, you guys. But as you know, the Southwest, it's one of my absolute favorites. We have so much unique wildlife right here in San Diego County. And I know I've seen you out there doing your thing, doing amazing work out there in areas like Hamul and Ramona, where I grew up, uh, Otay Mesa as well. And there was a recent story, kind of a, a unique predicament that happened out in Otay Mesa. Could you share with us a little what happened? Sure. Because of all those rains earlier in the year, the owls were having a lot of trouble finding food. 
we have one area that was restored, not just for burrowing owls, but for native species that unfortunately the rains really caused a lot of overgrowth of vegetation. Mm. And so the owls at that site were really struggling this year. And we had a couple of situations with two different nests where one of the parents disappeared. Mm. And usually for burrowing owls, they need both parents in order for the juveniles to survive to fledging. And even if they make it to fledging, there's no guarantees right, there. Right. So like every baby owl counts really in our book for trying to conserve the species. And so working with our partners like the Fish and Wildlife Service and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, we made the decision for these two nests that when one of the parents disappeared that we were going to take the chicks to what we call Head Start. So mm -hmm. trying to ensure that they survive to adulthood. And then once they've made it to adulthood and they can be put back into their natural environment, that they have a much better chance of surviving and thriving and having chicks of their own to continue on the generations. And one of our big initiatives with our program is to try to expand the burrowing owl population in San Diego County because we only had really one pretty small area where the owls were breeding. And with the work of our partners over the last dozen years, we've been working toward trying to add areas where there are owls, add owls to different places like Ramona, where yeah. they have been in the past. And unfortunately, they stopped being there because of changes in the environment. And through the hard work of a lot of our partners, as far as habitat management and trying to get the grasslands back to functioning well, and in our own expertise with animal care and conservation breeding, that we were able to do things like have a conservation breeding program, which also enables us to intervene with these wild chicks so that we can do things like yeah. head starting them. And so we made the decision, which, you know, we don't make it lightly to, right. no, to bring totally. these guys in and make sure that they survive to adulthood. And then they'll go back out into those other areas, Ramona or Hamul, yeah. next year when they're adults so that they can meet other owls yeah, and do right. what owls do. <laughs> yeah, that makes me wonder. So the different areas you're talking about are separated by urban areas. So the Otay Mesa population would not normally mix necessarily with the Humu'u population or others, right? Or do they travel that distance? They have the ability to, and we have seen some movement between Otay Mesa and Humu'u, or I should say the other way, really from Humu'u to Otay okay. Mesa. Oh. And in some cases, they go back to Humboldt. So, <laughs> so those two sites definitely have some level of connectivity. Ramona is not quite as well connected. And mm. that's something that as a larger group that trying to identify other areas to enhance the population to create this interconnected group of owls. And I mean, it's also, I guess, worth mentioning that like just because there's a boundary on a map in our eyes right. does not mean that it exists for the owls. And so yeah. the burrowing owls that we have here also travel into Northern Mexico. Right. And so they're kind of all interconnected. And so okay. trying to make sure that there are more owls out there to continue yeah. on. So Yeah, and the reason I was asking is because these chicks that were rescued, which I think is so cool. It's so cool to be able to not just breed them and put them out you know, into their natural environment, but then to also go, wait a minute, those, I loved how you said it, every chick is important to us. <laughs> those three are in danger of possible loss of life to no fault of their own. 
but for the fault of other situations coming into play, some of them human influenced. So therefore let's influence by taking them out, giving them that head start. And so the reason I asked about the movement between the different areas, because you're choosing to put them back though in a different area to help with the genetics, is that correct? Right, yeah. So they'll help us enhance the genetic diversity at those other two smaller sites that we've been working on establishing. When we're dealing with very small populations to begin with, there are some limitations there with genetic diversity. And so this also helps us. They can help contribute to their species here by adding some more genetic diversity into those Mm. smaller groups that we're trying to grow. And that, you know, hopefully in 10 or 20 years will be just as big as the Otay Mesa population. (laughs) That sounds like amazing work. I love it. And for guests who, you know, you visit us at Safari Park of the San Diego Zoo, you look at these adorable little burrowing owls at either Wildlife Explorers Base Camp or at Condor Ridge. And you guys are a part of that as well. And we also have a burrowing owl cam, right? So anyone around the world can log in and see some of our amazing burrowing owls, which I think is a blast. Yeah, I don't know if there are any owls on the camera. I checked it this morning. I didn't see any, but you'll see activity all throughout the year. Not only burrowing owls, but many other species also. There's also a program I wanted to ask you really quick where guests and the public can get involved in these conservation efforts called Wild Watch. Can Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we have a project called Wild Watch Burrowing Owl. That's part of the Zooniverse platform, which is a web-based citizen science program that allows anybody from anywhere in the world to get involved with a lot of different types of research. But with Wild Watch Burrowing Owl specifically, we use remote cameras at the burrow entrances to monitor the nests and how many chicks and what's, you know, just what's yeah. happening during the breeding season. And some of those photos we put up onto Wild Watch to have volunteers help us identify what's in the photos. I actually, the thing I like more about it is that there's this amazing community that has grown up there that interacts with each other and with us asking us questions and asking each other questions about what they're seeing in the photos and why it's happening. And so, you know, we have people that consistently help out with that that are from all over the world really and so it's a really fun way for us to share what we do but also share the magic of the species yeah i know agreed (laughs) it's so great and also for the kids out there not only wild wants but sometimes we include that program in our twitch channel so in case kids don't know we have a twitch channel at san diego zoo and every now and again we'll hit on the burrowing owls or other unique species too so a lot of ways to get involved in conservation yeah and i want to touch on the wild watch program too the value in that is that Often, I think Mark and I have both experiences when we go out to the public and give talks or we might be doing a presentation, is that sense of, I want to get involved, but I didn't take science classes or I'm not a scientist, I'm not a conservationist, you know, I'm already doing this job or I'm raising my kids or my kids are interested, but I don't know what to do. Anybody can be a part of that Wild Watch program and you are contributing. It's making a difference for the researchers. Yeah. And like you said, there's a community in there. People can get more involved. So kids, you'll need an adult to sign you up and be a part of it. But what a great way to spend time with your parents and get them involved in animals that you like and enjoy. What a great way for parents to get their kids involved. Or if you are retired, you can be anywhere. Mm-hmm. All you need really is the internet access and you can go through these images, which are so important because for one person, one researcher to go through all those thousands and thousands of images <laughs> would take forever. Oh, no. Millions. Yeah, millions, okay. But then the community doing it, you know, and being involved and being a part of this is so wonderful. It's a great opportunity for those who believe there might be some barrier for them to be part of something that they actually can contribute in such a meaningful way. I love that this program exists and it's still moving forward and it's so helpful to what the work you do. Yeah, and I can't overstate how I feel like it's just magical to get to look through the photos. I 
probably yes. overuse that word, but <laughs> I, <laughs> no, but you're right though. You see some of the cutest stuff I've seen a burrowing owl play with a little feather before or try to chase a little bug or like you mentioned them falling asleep in the middle of the day and just yeah, face planting. Oh my gosh. You see <laughs> yeah. the cutest things out there. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many opportunities people have in this like very busy society that we're a part of to really attach themselves to something that is so different from their normal day to day and to get to have this like window into stuff that's still happening out there like wherever out there is <laughs> right you know but all of the wildlife around us are just trying to survive day to day and we get this small little peek into what that looks like for this one particular species and i feel like it's really humbling honestly to see they're just trying to survive just like all of the rest of us are and just the magic of what that looks like and how they interact <laughs> yeah. with each other and how they interact with the environment around them and to have that secret peak, I guess, yeah. that not everybody gets to have. Mm -hmm. Your passion, Colleen, is quite obvious and it's infectious and it's exciting. And I yeah. hope <laughs> that our listening audience will jump in and check out the Wild Watch Burling Owl program. And of course, if there's any need to want to be more involved, you can always go to our website, sdzwa.org. But again, Colleen, thank you so much for your time today and sharing the story of the burrowing owls with us. Thank you for having me. And I would be remiss if I don't mention the amazing team that is also a part of this, just that oh. I'm representing here today. So thank you for having me and us by extension. Our no, pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to all the Beat Geeks, Bird Nerds, Avian <laughs> Avengers. <laughs> I appreciate Avengers. all of you. So thank you so much. Marco, on behalf of all of us non-bird nerds, I just want to say thank you for selecting Burrowing Owls for this episode. <laughs> oh, man, it was my absolute pleasure, and I loved it. And to be honest, if it were up to me, we'd be doing the whole season on birds. <laughs> oh, I don't doubt it. I know, I know. <laughs> I love your love for birds, and I love the passion and compassion that we heard coming from Colleen about these little owls that play such a big role in the ecosystem. And again, like we have been hearing from other conservationists this season, it's a team of people working with other teams and partners all coming together to truly make these conservation efforts successful. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, one might even say an alliance, hmm? <laughs> maybe even a, a wildlife alliance. Yes, yes. Very good, Marco. A <laughs> wildlife you. alliance. Nicely played. <laughs> Thank you, sir. And if anyone listening wants to join us and become an ally for wildlife, I encourage you to go to our website, sdzwa.org, to find out more. You can explore our conservation efforts around the world, or maybe even find one right here in your own backyard. And speaking of conservation hubs around the world, it's time for us to head down under to start working on another episode of Amazing Wildlife. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode in which Marco and I explore the Australian forest hub, talking about one of our favorite tree-dwelling marsupials. I'm Marco Lent. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening. For more information about the San Diego Zoo and San Diego Zoo Safari Park, go to sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios. Our supervising producer is Nakia Swinton, and our sound designer and editor is Sierra Spreen. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs>